Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part three of AI and Radiology, Current Status and What You Need to Know. We all would agree the current status is continually changing. One of the people who controls a lot of that change is the FDA. Now, in the last two talks, I went through some of the basic principles of AI. We spoke about radiomics, and we spoke about some of the stuff we've been working on to kind of give you a feel of how reality is in terms of development and testing. The FDA is really the gatekeeper. There's no doubt about it. Here was one chart looking at uh, early FDA approvals, and you could see it was across a range of disciplines. One of the things about the FDA, when you look at a lot of the applications, they're from companies you probably never heard of. Yes, there's some big companies like Hologic, but there are many other companies that are basically one-trick ponies. Now, to say that, little companies can become big. The day before I dictated this talk, I saw that AI Doc got $110 million in funding on top of everything else they had. So what was a small company you never heard of is now going to become a bigger and bigger company. So the FDA approves the apps. And you can see from this list, and you can go to the uh, ACR uh, site and be able to look at the changes in this list. But things might be divided into abdominal imaging, and thoracic imaging with applications. When you look at what the FDA has been approving, it really wasn't approving things that are gonna put radiologists out of business. It was really a good strategy of the FDA approving things that really didn't change how you read things, but perhaps improved how you manage things. So for example, one of the big applications that have been approved, and now it's been approved for many different vendors, are triage tools. Rule out intracranial bleed, move the patient to the front of the list, detect pulmonary embolism, pneumothorax detection, and detect fractures. And it's not only CT, some of the apps for approval have been for chest x-rays for pneumothorax, as well as CT, as well as skeletal trauma, also plain film, as well as CT. Now, one of the things you recognize, and this is one of the first um, approvals, or it was the first approval for acute hemorrhage, this was a really easy approval in some sense, right? What you're saying is patients come to the ER setting, there are a lot of big groups, takes an hour to get to a study. What happens if the computer looks and says, aha, this one has a bleed and moves it to the front of your list? You're going to have to read it anyway, so what difference does it make? But by reading it early, you could save time, and time can be uh, very significant in terms of brain recovery and brain injury. So it's really a nice app, and what it does is, and this was some slides that AI Doc gave me, it puts a signal that you should read this case next. Very simple. It just is triaging what you need to do. But is there any downside? The answer is not. I think you might get a little bit annoyed if it wasn't very accurate and you kept moving things around and it was driving you a little bit crazy. But when you look at the numbers of what was published in the initial articles, specificity was 99%, sensitivity 95 and overall accuracy 98%. They weren't the only ones who got this approval. Zebra, another company out of Israel, got approval as well. The objectives of our study was to assess the AI doc software 
in a true clinical setting. And this was an article from UCSF where they basically used AI doc and it was used in the ER setting. And what they did is they really were putting it through a real world test. AI doc software has been reported to perform with accuracy up to 98%, notably with even higher specificity and sensitivity. Nonetheless, the generalization of different data sets and clinical translation are known challenges restraining CNNs. So this is a very nice study. Let's get down to it. The radiologic assessment of intracranial hemorrhage in a total of 214 exams measured against the reference standard, the initial automatic software analysis delivered 64 false positives and 64 false negative results. This resulted in sensitivity, specificity, and positive predictive value and negative predictive value of 68, 96, 69, 96, and 94%. When you look at then the resident, and it was a second year resident, the second year resident obviously did far better, and the radiologist did even better than that. So the conclusion, a resident in the real world situation under time pressure outperformed an FDA-approved deep learning program in detecting intracranial hemorrhage. Our results underline the importance of thoughtful workflow integration and post-approval validation of AI apps in various clinical environments. And this was a really, really good study because it took something, and obviously AI doc did the study correctly. It was several institutions, but again, it depends on your scanners. Everything can vary. And this was really a, wor a world-class study in a real-world setting by Thomas Cow. Now, our results underline the needs for external post-approval validation in various clinical environments. And one of the things the authors really were focusing on is that, you know, when you get approval, that's one thing. But what happens after approval? How is it going to be working in the real world? Do the vendors have to look at that? Or do people have to write articles? If you're assuming you're 98% accurate, that's going to give you a lot of comfort. But you don't want comfort if that's not really the reality. So again, um, very, very important. Just too many false positives, too many false negatives. And the false negatives are going to be a problem. Because again, if the radiologist thinks the study is negative by the computer, they might tend to underread it. So again, very important how we handle our information. Now, there's been other approvals. AI Doc was the first for PEs, but GE and Siemens and a few other companies have got PE approval. Again, the objective was to improve your accuracy of PE studies. Okay, very, very simple. Nice, easy study. And then there was an article, How AI Improves Radiologic Interpretation in Suspected PEs in European Radiology. And they found several interesting points. Both the AI algorithm and the emergency radiologist showed excellent performance in diagnosing PE. The AI algorithm for P detection could help increase the sensitivity and negative predictive value of ER docs, of ER radiologists that is, in clinical practice, especially in cases of poor to moderate injection quality. Emergency radiologists recommended the use of AI for P detection and satisfaction surveys to increase their confidence and comfort in the final diagnosis. 
So that's really good. It's interesting in this study, when you read the article, where the computer, where AI was much better than the radiologist, or on studies that weren't perfect. On perfect studies, the radiologist did well. We all know if the patient holds their breath and the injection is perfect, it's easy to pick up a PE. It's when there's not the greatest injection, maybe there's some motion, that's always going to be problematic. And AI was more helpful in that scenario. So when you look at um, the, the results, AI doc captured 19 PEs that were not diagnosed by radiologists in 19 distinct patients. In other words, the AI algorithm could correct a misdiagnosed PE approximately every 63 studies. This estimation must be considered in parallel with the high numbers of CT studies we're doing. So approximately 285 true PEs detected by AI, but initially missed by the radiologists. And you could see that's very important. Over a year, you could pick up 285 missed studies. Indeed, very, very important because, again, with PE, morbidity and mortality is high between 5 and 30% in missed PE studies. Okay, so in conclusion, the study confirms the high diagnostic performance of AI algorithms relying on DCNN to diagnose PE in a large multicentric retrospective emergency series. Okay, so here it is again, and they make the point that this was helping the radiologist. The radiologist now was AI-augmented radiologist instead of supporting the theory of radiologists replaced by AI. So again, we're doing our work and doing it better. Other applications, again, looking at workflow, GE received pneumothorax detection, and it was embedded into the chest X-ray machine. So the second the x-ray came out, before it even went to the radiologist, the computer looked at it, and it found a pneumothorax, it would tell the radiologist, and they would get an emergency warning. So again, helps the radiologist prioritize critical cases with the suspected pneumothorax. Again, not just reading all the chest x-rays, read the ones that are most critical, which could save up to eight hours, because in many places, probably like your hospital, the Imaging done in the ICU at night is not checked to the morning. Maybe the um, the ICU docs look at it. But if you knew there was a PE on one of the cases or a pneumothorax, since both things are being developed, but let's stick with pneumothorax, somebody would look at it immediately. And 11 o'clock at night is a lot better than 7 o'clock in the morning. And again, very high accuracy. And this wasn't talking about small or large on pneumothoraces, but actually small ones as well. And prioritized stat x-ray consider waiting for up to eight hours for radiologist review. And hopefully this technique, by giving an alert to the radiologist, will change that process to just a few minutes. The ability to triage patients and take care of acute processes, like intracranial bleed, pneumothorax, and PE, will benefit the health system, improve patient care, and reduce costs. And the end of the day, that's our mission. So you can see that one of the things the FDA is doing is approving things. They need to be well-constructed algorithms with good results from the field. But again, it's not replacing radiologists, and it's only going to help radiologists. So it's a good way of getting buy-in early on. Now, 
The challenge, of course, is that when you start looking at many of the algorithms that have FDA approval, as I showed you with the um, intracranial bleed, it's not always going to work as well as you think it is. There's a lack of standardization in the FDA clearance summary document as well. Notably, what manufacturers provided in their FDA application is much more extensive, but only a, a bridge summary is publicly available. From this study, it was found that only 11 of all 118 FDA-cleared algorithms had greater than 1,000 patients for validating the AI, and from the 11, only one reported validation from two different clinical sites. So you can see the problem. Really good results, but small numbers of patients from a single site, okay? And again, this is also one of the issues in manuscripts. Again, people report, I mentioned this with radiomics, people report incredibly good results at their institution on their cases, and then when you move it outside, it really doesn't work. And the other thing, of course, we don't look at is the integration, the ability to solve a clinical problem but then it needs to be built in to the workflow. And that's something that will come around, but it's something that needs to be thought of from the beginning. Many of the considerations could be helpful in making the requirements for FDA clearance more robust and transparent. These include what are the training, validation, test definitions, and size? Was an external data set used for final testing? Were images generated from multiple vendors used to train and evaluate the algorithm? Was the AI algorithm trained using widely accepted standards? How was the performance of the AI measured? And was it in reference to radiology experts and pathology? How was the potential for data set bias mitigated? Okay, so it's not so simple. And these are very difficult things. And you can imagine it could really make the process seem like it would take forever. In this article by Abraham, insufficient public information on validation data sets in several FDA AI algorithms makes it difficult to justify clinical applications since the generalizability and presence of bias cannot be inferred. Okay, so again, this is going to be a problem if the algorithms are approved but they're not strongly vetted, I think people are going to be disappointed, and that probably will set AI back. The FDA often classifies AI algorithms based on one or more of these tasks into computer-aided triage, detection, diagnosis, detection and diagnosis, and acquisition optimization. The FDA presented another category of of software for image processing, which are not disease specific and include software for quantification, image reconstruction, artifact reduction, and the like. So one of the points this article does make is you need to really look at where an application fits in. There will be applications that are more generic and not to a specific disease. And you can see this is worth reading, and I'm not going to try to read it with you, but these are all of the different categories of where things could fit in to AI. So again, lots of possibilities, but again, it's a very difficult thing to really create fair judgment across many of these. And here's just a summary of specific target findings uh, evaluated by FDA-approved algorithms. 
whether it's brain or cardiac, liver, abdomen, bladder, thyroid, breast, bone, and lung. You can see those are the big numbers. Oh yes, by the way, you don't see pancreas in there. In conclusion, most FDA-regulated algorithms like adequate evaluation data or its full description, which can affect their robustness and generalizability in the country with tremendous disparities in patients and imaging equipment and acquisition settings. And I think that is something that I know we struggle with ourselves. As we work on the Felix Project, we need outside data. We need studies that weren't done perfectly. We need different scanners. We need different patients. We need different size of tumors. And that's going to be a challenge. I know the FDA is working on it. RSNA is working on it. ACR is working on it. And perhaps things will come about in that regard. If I look at the application pipeline, I keep reading lots about ER apps, which is a good area. More in oncology, trauma, pulmonary, cardiac, and neuroradiology. And there are many more than that, but those are the big areas. And you could see it's not a day which passes where I don't see something that's being done. Now, again, what's done in clinic to become a product, it's a long way because, again, often there's no prototype, often it's limited study numbers. And again, it's not easy going from a paper to a product. But here's one uh, for uh, bladder cancer treatment response assessment in CTRography. Again, patients with complete response may be considered for organ preservation therapy instead of cystectomy. Here was an example of a technique with AI that was used to help with patient management. The performance comparisons of experienced and inexperienced physicians uh, showed that there was no observable difference between their performance. Uh, the use of the computer resulted in more consistent performance among all subgroups of physicians. This is one of those articles. Many articles will say, hey, the experienced radiologist, the computer doesn't help much. The inexperienced, it helps a lot. It particularly helps the ER doc and not the radiologist. This was one where no matter what your experience was, you all did better and it kind of uh, leveled the playing field. So one of the things you have to look at when you look at AI apps is look at where the improvement is and to who the improvement is. If you're an expert in the field and it doesn't help you, you may not need the software, but if you have limited people who are doing it with limited experience, it's surely going to be more helpful as this article mentions. So AI can be and seems to be a great equalizer, improves the standard of care for diagnosis and treatment for all, improves the performance of the least experienced clinicians and makes them closer to an expert and improves the likelihood of better outcome for the patient. And that, of course, is the most important thing, getting the best outcome for the patient. Now, one of the areas where we're seeing lots of development is in chest imaging, whether it's radiographs or CT. You saw a lot of AI work done during COVID, but I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's stop here and we'll come back in a couple minutes and pick it up with chest AI applications. See you in a few minutes. Thanks. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. 
We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.